Welcome to the Australia India Institute's Chats Over Chai with me, Lisa Singh. Chats Over Chai is part of our India Matters series celebrating 75 years of India's independence. And to mark this occasion, we are going to explore the incredible contribution of Rabindranath Tagore through the window of love and the world with two leading Tagore scholars in Australia and in India, respectively. Tagore is one of the founding fathers of the Republic of India, alongside the likes of Nehru, Gandhi and Ambedkar. He was a world-renowned poet, composer, playwright, painter and social reformer, among many other things, and was best known outside of South Asia for his collection of poems, Jitanjali, that awarded him the Nobel Prize in Literature in 1913, the first non-European to win such a prize. Born in Calcutta in 1861 into a family at the centre of the Bengal Renaissance, Rabindranath Tagore described himself as at the confluence of three cultures, Hindu, Muslim and British. Incredibly well-travelled in a time where there was that was far from the norm, Tagore traversed the world six times. And in his travels, he spoke and lectured on the topics of war, nationalism, race, caste, and colonialism, and conversed or had correspondence with figures such as Yeats and Einstein. Tagore authored around 200 books and made 3,000 artworks. He founded an art school, university, and rural development institute, and composed the national anthems of both India and Bangladesh. So there's a myriad of reasons to study Tagore, and today we are going to explore his work on love in terms of its norm-making and world-making. And so to explore this, I am joined by two leading Tagore scholars, Dr. Leanne Hartnett and Professor Bindu Puri. Dr. Leanne Hartnett is an international political theorist with a doctorate in international relations from the London School of Economics and Political Science. Her research focuses on how and why love matters to world politics. She's the author of a number of articles and book chapters, including Love is Worldmaking, Reading Rabindranath Tagore's Gora as International Theory, which featured in International Studies Quarterly 2022, and also Love as Practice of Peace, the Political the Theologies of Tolstoy, Gandhi and King, it, which is published in Theology and, the Wor and World Politics in 2020. I'd also like to introduce Professor Bindu Puri. Professor Bindu Puri is a professor of contemporary Indian philosophy at the Centre for Philosophy School of Social Sciences at Jawaharlal Nehru University. Her main interests are in the areas of contemporary Indian philosophy and moral and political philosophy. Professor Puri has made a large number of contributions to edited anthologies and philosophical and interdisciplinary journals. And she's authored three monographs, including the Tagore-Gandhi debate on matters of truth and untruth, and the Ambedkar-Gandhi debate on identity, community and justice. And in addition, she has eight edited volumes, the most recent being Reading Sri Aurobindo, Metaphysics, Ethics and Spirituality, which is forthcoming in August this month with Springer Nature Publications. 
I would like to start our podcast discussion today with you, Dr. Harnett. Obviously, you've just written this, published this piece in the International Studies Quarterly titled Love is Worldmaking, reading Rabindranath Tagore's Gora as International Theory. And of course, his famous novel, Gora, is known for its philosophical debate on politics and religion. But I'm really interested to know in this in this piece, what was your inspiration behind examining Tagore's Gora as lending insight into love as an international theory? And what does this novel really have to offer to the study of international relations? Dr. Hartnett. Thank you, Lisa, for the kind introduction and the invitation to participate in this conversation. Um, so the article um, that I wrote in International Studies Quarterly lays the foundation for a larger book project, which really examines love's role in world making during empire, by which I mean love's implication in imagining and striving for worlds which did not yet exist. So in the context of India and its independence struggle, Rabindranath Tagore was one of very many people to evoke love's world-making potential. Um, Gandhi's Ahimsa, of course, is another notable example. Um, before I maybe delve into talking about Tagore and his Gora and what it illuminates about love and international theory, perhaps I should say a little about the novel Gora. So um, the novel Gora was published in 1910. Um, it's about an Irish foundling born in the midst of the 1857 War of Independence. After an Irish officer is killed by sepoys, his pregnant wife um, seeks refuge with a Brahmin or upper caste family and dies in childbirth. Their son is adopted by the family, named Gora, and passed off um, as Brahmin. A brief reference um, to the Second Anglo Afghan war situates the novel in the late 1870s. Um, when the novel begins, the reader learns that Gora is the president of the Hindu Welfare Society, a social activist, writer, proto-nationalist. Unaware of his roots, he espouses a hyper-masculine, orthodox Hindu nationalism grounded in caste observance to combat a hierarchical and racialized imperial order. Um, Skora very much understands his religious self-fashioning in terms of larger questions of nationalism and imperialism. He equates his religiosity with the decolonization of his mind. Um, and in the process, he ironically mirrors the same logics he's trying to resist. Um, so the novel's really a commentary about Gora's journey um, to embracing a more inclusive um, inclusive vision of humanism and universalism, if you like. Um, I chose to focus on Gora and um, in this article because I think it offers at least three insights into Love's world-making work. First, um, the novel can effectively be read as a hist historiography on the period spanning from, you know, the 1857 War, and, War of Independence to the Swadeshi movement. As such, the novel represents how love um, is evoked in multiple and sometimes dissonant world-making projects of nationalism, cosmopolitanism, and intercommunalism variously construed. 
What is interesting here is that whereas these debates have traditionally been understood in international relations in terms of competing spheres of justice, Tagore reframes them as coterminous conceptions of love. The second reason I chose to focus on Gora is because I think it offers a normative typology for approaching love um, in international relations. Love in the abstract, you know, the kinds of love which elevate the ideal of community or humanity over individuals, Tagore seems to suggest leads to exclusion, domination and violence. On the other hand, love in the particular is an antidote um, to all of this and is integral to Tagore's vision of inclusion, equality and peace. I should just add um, that Tagore's sensibility was very much nurtured by the Upanishads and it's important to note that he saw no contradiction between loving in the particular and an inclusive universalism. And the third reason why I turn um, to Gora is because I think it offers insight into the normative impetus of what Chris Mandrapra has termed Tagore's Swadeshi internationalism. This Swadeshi internationalism um, saw Tagore place great emphasis on the importance of friendship with figures like Yeats and Du Bois and Noguchi to imagine and strive for another world. It also saw Tagore um, place great emphasis on education initiatives like Shanti Niketan and Vishwa Bharati in fostering global understanding and harmony. Um, importantly, Tagore's world-making work didn't really map onto a nation state or the logics of empire, but really sought to cast these conceptions aside. Um, it serves as an important reminder of the global reach of anti-colonial struggles in late 19th and early 20th century India, which resonated you know, globally uh, in places like Dublin and Johannesburg, Mexico and the Philippines. Just to sum up, um, in addition to helping us think through the many ways in which intimacies, affinities and solidarities animate political movements and shape the world, I think Gora's an incredibly rich commentary on religion, race, caste, class and gender. It's hard um, to do justice to all its offerings to international relations in a brief response, but I hope people listening to this podcast will consider reading Gora or anything by Tagore and reflecting upon just how relevant his insights remain for world politics today. Thank you, Dr Hartnett. I think you certainly have put the call out there to inspire our listeners to pick up one of Tagore's many brilliant pieces, be it poetry or even the book Gora in terms of the the comparative um, proposition that you've made in, in terms of that book as love is world-making. I think in terms of looking at the fact that we are celebrating uh, at the Institute 75 years of India's independence currently, I think that reminder of the, of the global reach of, of the anti-colonialism struggle that is depicted through your piece of, of Gora is, is very much interesting at, at this time in terms of Tagore's writings. So let's go a little bit further now in terms of looking at uh, Professor Puri, some of your written work about Tagore, because you yourself, uh, I understand, have a forthcoming book on Tagore uh, from Routledge. I wonder whether you agree, firstly, with Dr Hartnett's interpretation of Tagore's Gora, and particularly, you know, the context of love constituting the global through normative means and in relation to 
you know, at the moment, India's independence being world making. What What's your take on this piece, Professor Puri? To begin with, I'd like to thank you for the wonderful introduction and for having me uh, to speak at the podcast. And I would also like to appreciate Leanne's paper. And it's absolutely wonderful to see Gora uh, and to see Tagore appear in international theory. Uh, because, uh, you know, I, I'd love to see more people like Sri Aurobindo and Tagore be in conversation in international theory. So I do agree with Dr. Hartnett's work on uh, Tagore and the, the point she brings out that Gora makes a distinction between love in the particular and abstract, love in the abstract, like love of the nation or any kind of abstraction is disturbing to Tagore. And I agree with her point over there. And also the thoughts on love in Gora, and I'll add uh, in the home and the world, uh, another uh, novel by Tagore, do speak of love's world-making work and help us to shift the axis of inquiry in contemporary international theory away from uh, liberalism of roles and towards other figures uh, like uh, Tagore. And I think uh, Leanne's point is uh, very wonderful where she suggests that, you know, uh, love in the abstract leads us to value and prioritize, protect unimagined community using Benedict Anderson's uh, words populated not by persons, but by idealized constructions. I'll also add that love in the abstraction, love of an ideal is for Tagore, not, is also a moral anesthetic. In the sense that when you love, this love of an ideal or an imagined community means one, that you don't love at all, and two, that there's no space for moral responsibility. Because there's no tying to any context anymore. And this was main part of Tagore's critique of nation and the West. So I'll just like to add a couple of points over here. So, you know, Leanne has argued that Tagore's uh, uh, notion of love um, as a normative mode of world making, uh, you know, can be described and centers on openness, constancy, irreplaceability, and a fundamental delight in the particularly particularity of a person. Now, I would use very different terms of description, if you permit me. I would speak of ease, friendship, harmony, and rhythm as better descriptions, and I'll explain. One, I think Tagore was not very happy with constancy. So he looked at love, you know, uh, and uh, human relations on the analogy of music. And so there was lots of changes happening. Uh, so I just like to tell a story which Amartya Sen has said that, you know, Tagore, uh, Gandhi was visiting Shantini Ketan and a young lady bought an autograph book to him. And Tagore wrote over there, I mean, Gandhi wrote over there, uh, don't make a promise in haste. And if you make it, keep it at the cost of your life. So Tagore got very agitated and wrote underneath it. Um, Leave your promise if you find it to be untrue. You cannot be made a prisoner with a chain of clay forever. Mm. And later on, one time he wrote to uh, about Victoria Ocampo that whenever the nest becomes a rival of the sky, I find my wings and take flight. So he, he wasn't really uh, uh, thinking about constancy. 
and uh, i think uh, it was more about ease friendship creative comradeship and now coming to another point i also feel that we have to understand that tagore did not only talk of love of persons love of nature and love of god was also equally intimate and easy so god was like this you know there's lots of poems about the human heart waiting for this voice and this presence of god like a lover and there's lots of letters where he talks about terrible missing of the season of rain or a particular avenue of trees when he's traveling so there's a whole lot of love for nature as well so i i would say that a love in uh, for tagore is harmony friendship it could be between persons persons and nature persons and god this also becomes world making but more along the lines of in the manner of a friendship and a sharing which is tied to ease rather than passion passion is something that tagore totally uh, is very very critical of and uh, i will end on the note that love in the particular is world making for tagore precisely because it is not political so uh, that's that's something i leave you with mm i i really like that story you shared professor puri about uh, tagore and and gandhi um but you know i think this really shows the the you know the, the absolute breadth of of tagore's knowledge and how it spanned in so many different areas of his his writings and his thinking his philosophy dr hartnett you say that tagore is an underappreciated figure in international relations but why do you think that um so tagore's best known for being the first non-european nobel laureate in literature um but there's a tendency um i think lisa for him internationally to be remembered just as a poet as you mentioned in your introduction um he was also a polymath and an important figure in international politics his conversations with gilbert murray hg wells romain roland albert einstein um web du bois alone merit closer study and engagement yet with the notable exceptions of isaiah berlin amartya sen martha nussbaum and rahul rao tagore largely remains on the peripheries of international relations part of the problem um has been that international relations as a field has been focused far too long on um the anglo-american world this is changing now thankfully of course um however part of the problem has also been to gore's reception internationally by this i mean there's a tendency internationally to succumb to orientalist tropes and understand to gore as a spiritual rather than political figure um not that the two are ne necessarily counterposed um similarly he's often dismissed too quickly um i think as a political idealist um while there's definitely something to be said about the affinities um between tagore's work and that of interwar idealists and liberal internationalists the fact remains that tagore offers very powerful and compelling critique of war nationalism race caste and gender that risks getting lost when we mischaracterize his work um in addition i think um 
Tagore's work evades easy classification, um, whether that is as a liberal or a modern, you know, although he definitely exalts freedom, um, as Professor Puri's, um, you know, book clearly um, sort of lays out, um, and, and reason, um, he's also very critical of atomistic individualism and emphasises the value of emotion and embodiment. Um, similarly, although he very much seems like a modern, we also encounter a critique of modernity in his works, which draws on traditional sources. So rather than, you know, the, the complications and contradictions, um, if you like, into Gore's thought, being reasons to neglect his work, I think all of this actually makes um, his work all the more compelling as a confluence of many cultures um, and a figure who was at home in the world, he often draws on Indic sources to critique Western political thought and vice versa, creating um, a really rich and syncretic body of work in the process. In many ways, then I think um, he exemplifies what global international relations as a field um, ought to aspire to. Well, well, let's look at that because I think at the moment we're, you know, we're very focused on India's 75th anniversary of independence. So, uh, Professor Puri, I'd like to know sort of more about Tagore's contributions exactly to India's freedom struggle, its, its, its independence. I think there has been, you know, a number of debates uh, around um, Tagore's idea of nation. Um, so how can we look at the idea of, of nation or of nationalism? through the work of Tagore as being decolonized and therefore contributing to India's independence. Tagore's contribution, first of all, to the freedom struggle, of course, can be read of the national anthem, Janaganaman. But his central contribution is that he plays the role of this critical insider. As Gandhi put it, he was this great sentinel who was like a lighthouse. And I'm quoting Gandhi, served to give warnings of dangers lying in the stormy path of life. What dangers? Of bigotry, aggressive nationalism, and so on. So Gandhi wrote, you know, to Andrews many times how he appreciated Tagore because he was a frank critic. I'll argue that there are three points of dissent from the leaders of India's freedom struggle that became, that are invaluable to India's movement for freedom and to the nation that India became and is still become. Because as Tagore said himself, in no country of the world is the task of nation making ever complete. So what are these three points? The first is that Tagore being this great exponent of freedom in the mind, Swaraj and ideas, uh, cautioned against the adoption of this uh, nation of the West, the uncritical module of the nation, which was, uh, uh, you know, which sort of arrived in India post-colonialism, which he thought was aggressive based on conquest and competition. He had read Renan and he was aware uh, about, uh, you know, the kind of module that was becoming available. Uh, and of course, the world war. Uh, secondly, he suggested an alternative form of nation, which is really very often overlooked by people like Nazform also, um, and many others. I mean, you have Ashish Nandi, you have, uh, uh, you know, Partha Chatterjee arguing that Tagore was the exponent of the non-nation. 
but actually when he went to japan he spoke to the japanese about creating an alternative great eastern nation and isaiah berlin has described this you know as one that would avoid the two extremes of cosmopolitanism and an aggressive nationalism based on a romantic over attachment to the past so this great eastern nation would be a nation in line with india's three modern communities one in which as gian has beautifully put it there's no conflict between love of country and interrelationship with humanity which for tagore was the religion of man so in this gandhi and tagore came very close as they both dissented from other people in the freedom struggle in talking about a decentralized eastern nation in india the third thing a point of dissent which becomes important is that tagore actually suggested how the nation should be built through cooperation from the local to the national going out in concentric circles in in and you know how deeply this influenced gandhi uh in this context you know yet you, you one should recall that he was among the earliest people to set up a cooperative rural bank and in practical terms he built confidence in the people that you know things could be settled at a local level with communities engaging cooperatively with each other depending on local resources and remaining close to nature without closing themselves off from engagements with other cultures with other people so this is an alternative political vision not top heavy right and uh, it's also important that during the debate with gandhi he emphasized this and said uh, that the only way and i am putting him here uh, that only can be man's true country which he can help to create by his wisdom and will his love and his actions and uh, so gandhi and tagore really came very close in this and uh, the 1941 constructive program even the idea of the constructive program was really inspired by it i'm look i'm really interested in this way in which tagore has has been an influential figure on mahatma gandhi i i think while reading you know about tagore i came to know that he made earnest efforts to ensure intercommunal harmony i think one example of that that stayed with me was the idea of hindus and muslims tying raki to one another to demonstrate solidarity with one another during the 1905 partition of bengal i mean for those listening raki is uh, an indian or rakshabandhan as it's also known is an indian festival where a thread uh, symbolically of love you know and of protection and and sort of family relationship is tied by sisters to their brothers wrists so you know that 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 example of tying raki for hindus and muslims during that partition is is really quite um highlight of of tagore's call for harmony and unity that was adhered to by many members of both communities hindus and muslims and even through his writings um you know the religion of man comes to mind here tagore has repeatedly expressed the ideas of nation and inclusion of unity and not uniformity so when i sort of look at india today i i definitely see um that, you know that that there's definitely not uniformity there's such a diversity within india so professor puri 
how do you see, you know, Tagore's writings in adding to to modern India uh, in terms of itself as an independent nation today? I think, you know, this whole, uh, which you started with Rakhi and the intercommunal kind of understanding and harmony uh, was brought out by Tagore very beautifully. He used metaphors of light, uh, pilgrimage, speaking about harmony between diverse people of the world, not just of India, in the language of religion. But it's very important to note that this is not a sectarian understanding of religion. It's a poet's understanding. Even though it's inspired by the Upanishads, uh, it's it's really uh, uh, you know something which uh, which is uh, artistic and which is responding to this what he calls the unity of interrelationships of between human beings and also between human beings and the material natural world. So looking at how he understands relationship between real di- really diverse people, it's important to look at another concept he has. This is this idea of the surplus. So Tagore thinks human beings have this surplus, which is in excess of what they need for survival. And that's really what's central to being a human being. And this surplus gives you uh, the place, the space, what I call constitutive generosity. And it's here where love, friendship, art abides. And it is here that intercultural, interreligious understanding can kind of take place. Now, Tagore's idea of the surplus explains at once both the universal and individual aspects of human personality. So at one level, the surplus leads an individual to unique self-creative expressions in culture, music, art, singing. And at another level, the fact that all these ventures emerge from a shared aspect of the human qua human being. It invites, we are invited to share these expressions wherever and in whatever language they may be expressed. So therefore, you see, Tagore was able to speak about this friendship, metri, harmony between uh, different cultures. Tagore was not looking for oneness, but he was looking for harmony. And this makes all the difference to cultural, religious understanding. The fact that you're looking just to bring everything together in a in, in a rhythm so he says you know i'm going to just quote him here he says the vaishnav poet sings of the lover who has his flute which with all its different stops brings out the varied notes notes of music and love that are in nature and in man and he describes human beings in uh, the religion of man he says we are the music makers we are the dreamers of dreams so, you know, he his whole stress is that if you bring all these different notes together, you can either make a frightful noise or you can kind of make a delightful music of the spirit. And that's really how he sees diverse people coming together. I hope that kind of brings some understanding to this. Absolutely. Look, I think now we might explore Dr. Hartnett to Gore's contribution which was again very immense in the in the field of education Mm -hmm. his educational philosophy is based on four fundamental principles namely naturalism humanism internationalism and idealism which helped shape his legacy institutes of shanti nitikan and vishwa party 
His idea of education being imparted in natural surroundings is being widely appreciated and accepted globally. So how do you sort of, you know, how important are some of these sorts of ideas for both Indian and Australian education systems today? Perhaps I should say that um, in part Tagore's education initiatives like Shanti Niketan and Vishwa Bharati grew out of a deep personal dissatisfaction with formal education and its emphasis on instrumental learning rather than creativity and independent critical thought. Um, they also grew out of a conviction um, in Tagore that education, which emphasised the transformative value of love and maitri or friendship, um, was integral to fostering world peace. For all of Tagore's many contributions to literature and art and music and indeed politics, it's telling that he valued his education um, initiatives above all else, um, seeing it as really integral to his legacy. There's an excellent article by a scholar at Kamala Nehru University, Dr. Malavia, in the Journal of Peace Education, which came out last year, I think, which elaborates on all of this. Um, she recounts a story of how Tagore fostered a culture which resulted in divisions based on caste and religion dissipating in Shanti Niketan's dining rooms, for instance. Elsewhere, um, Robert Vitalis writes of the African-American scholar Mirza Tate, who studied at Vishwa Bharati and just delighted in its inclusive atmosphere. Speaking um, now as an academic and educator rather than an education policy expert, I think Tagore invites us to keep asking two questions of our classrooms um, and countries. First, do we intrinsically value learning, creativity and independent critical thought, even if the instrumental value of this is perhaps less obvious? And second, how inclusive is our approach to education, not only in terms of ensuring equal access, um, but also um, in terms of the cultures we foster and the curriculums we design. Are we doing all we can to address the prejudices and power structures that impede the transformative promise um, of education, which Tagore wrote about? Look, I, I think this is really fascinating. We're really delving now into some of the other areas in which Tagore has made such a contribution to the world. I did now, Professor Puri, wanted to ask you a little bit more about the other sorts of areas Tagore has made a contribution. Tagore said Mother Earth was enough for the healthy appetite of her children and something extra for rare cases of abnormality. And he said she has not nearly sufficient for the sudden growth of a whole world of spoiled and pampered children. So through these words, I see that he is emphasising the need for humans to respect the environment and to perhaps uh, you know, recognise our limited resources. Do you think it's fair to say that Tagore is making a case here for sustainable development? And can we learn from his ideas here for our contemporary times, Professor Puri? Uh, wonderful. Thank you. This is a beautiful question and becomes occasion to explore his enchanted relationship with nature in a sense. Perhaps this uh, question about sustainable development is grounded 
actually in a different tradition in Enlightenment modernity. And as Leanne had pointed out, that he was a bit critical of Enlightenment modernity. So the question, so sustainable development doesn't quite capture his vision. Uh, because I think he thought of a comradeship in which nature was an equal partner with man in an essentially magical universe pervaded by divinity. So uh, Tagore was a critic of uh, one central aspect of enlightenment modernity, among others. The notion of self, the way the self is related to nature. See Kant's idea of autonomy, which kind of sets the tone for modernity. Then uh, this whole, there's a complete dismissal of an objective realm of values embedded in a cosmos, which is kind of understood as a single coherent system, independent of human reason and desire. So now nature is transformed into resources. Now Tagore is a fierce critic of this. He spoke, you know, of the connection that you would get, make with nature, the way you would draw not only aesthetic enjoyment, but also sympathy from, uh, from nature. In Home and the World, there's this beautiful scene where this uh, heroine who is Bimala, She's in grief and she flings herself on the grass. And it's like the grass comes up to comfort her. So nature is equal with man. And uh, in uh, you, there's another idea that nature actually mediates the relationship between the human and the divine. And this comes out in the 1930 Hibbert lectures at Oxford. And here, you know, I'm quoting him from here. He speaks here of, you know, gathering clouds, hanging heavy with unshed rain, how they kept his mind pervaded with the intimacy of a pervasive companionship. And there's this, uh, you know, many times where he speaks about how nature actually gives him insights into his role in, in the world, into the way he relates to the divine. And so this relationship with nature becomes enchanted. It becomes a comradeship of equality. And uh, this is quite missed by moderns. So I'm just going to say one cute story which he says, which, which he relates rather in the religion of man, where he says he's standing, he, he used to travel in connection with his, uh, you know, uh, estates and he was standing by a window after the morning work and there was this empty dry riverbed and suddenly the rain came. Now looking at the rain on the parched earth, he kind of thought about his life and he wrote about the burning days of sorrow and the beautiful days of spring in his life. And suddenly all those detached facts came together in a unity and they started making sense. And he felt that nature spoke to him and told him that all these things had a meaning in, in the fact that is some being who comprehended him and his world was seeking his own uh, best expression in all of Tagore's experiences, into creating an ever-widening individuality, an individual life, which was like a spiritual work of art. And that's the sense he got from looking at the rain on the dry parched riverbed. So nature then mediated the relationship between man and God. So if we capture that lost sense of enchantment, then, you know, uh, you know everything... Uh, you know, then nature will no longer be something to exploit. And that's really the change that we I think all roads lead back to, to love with Tagore, uh, whether it's love in the world or in nature. And I think that's a, a brilliant example of that. 
Uh, look, my last question, I really want to sort of look at the fact of, you know, modern India today, in, the Indian government has been engaging at all sorts of levels uh, at various, you know, in, in terms of uh, having a seat at the table at various multilateral forums. It's been working with great passion to support all sorts of areas of global cooperation uh, and initiatives, uh, climate change, for example, um, support for our small island states. Um, it has on multiple occasions supported individual countries as a gesture of friendship. Uh, Sri Lanka comes to mind at the moment, for example, and it's been guided by the principle of the entire world being a family. Do you see an imprint of Tagore's values in these initiatives currently on modern India, Professor Puri? Yeah, I, I actually, it's surely fitting that this imprint should have been there because, you know, like you said at the start, that was Tagore of all Indians who had traveled the most, who had been to Latin America, United States, Middle East, North and Southeast Asia, Russia, Europe. Therefore, it's very fitting that he should have an imprint uh, and be relevant to global cooperative measures of the Indian government. And I'll speak of three points over here. One, I'll say that Tagore would have appreciated the Indian government's uh, uh, initiatives because he of all Indian leaders had been very, very aware of this dismantling of boundaries and the need for people to think about intercultural understanding so this was a point he reiterated in prose and poetry. I recall him speaking in Iran about how the world had come together and it was, you know, important for people to think about cooperation and to kind of uh, liberate the human mind from the dark sources of unreason and mutual distrust from lust for gain and so on. The second point is that he had often argued like Sri Aurobindo that India would bring the light of the East to other countries walking down the same path of pilgrimage. Now, there's this poem he composes around the world war, around the time of the world war, which is like my one of my very, very favorite, favorite poems, apart from Ekla Chalo. Uh, this is like, he says, the night has ended. Put out the light of the lamp of thine own narrow dark corner, smudged with smoke, the great morning which is for all appears in the east. Let its light reveal us to each other who walk on the same path of pilgrimage. So that's really the sense of that. And the third point was that Tagore thought that it was impossible for any part of the world to develop if other parts of the world were in greed. So this was, you know, this has a very close relationship with the Indian government, with Prime Minister Modi ji's vaccine sharing policy or you know, any other kind of policy of helping smaller states, which Lisa G just mentioned. Uh, so you know, you find Tagore speaking prophetically in 1921. He says, you know, we are beginning to discover that our problem is worldwide. And no one people of the earth can work out its salvation by detaching itself from others. Either we shall be saved together or drawn together into destruction. So I think, uh, you know, so he comes very close to that. And um, so I, I definitely think he has, uh, the Indian government is fairly close uh, to Tagore in, in all these initiatives. Look, I think we've had a, such a brilliant conversation. 
today, all sorts of reasons why we should all be studying Tagore in our, our contemporary lives. And I really want to thank Dr. Leanne Hartnett in Australia and Professor Bindu Puri in India for this engaging conversation podcast today on, on Tagore, but also really appreciate you sharing your wealth of knowledge and ideas with us today. So thank you, both of you. And because we are celebrating India's 75th anniversary of independence, I am going to end this podcast today with one of Tagore's poems, Where the Mind is Without Fear. Where the mind is without fear and the head is held high, where knowledge is free, where the world has not been broken up into fragments by narrow domestic walls, where words come out from the depth of truth, where tireless striving stretches its arms towards perfection, where the clear stream of reason has not lost its way into the dreary desert sand of dead habit, where the mind is led forward by thee into ever-widening thought and action, into that heaven of freedom, my father, let my country awake. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in to this Chats Over Chai podcast episode with me, Lisa Singh. Subscribe to the Australia Indie Institute's podcast wherever you get your podcasts from, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.